get started because I have a gift to give away. Who of you has ever played in a high school band? Think back. Your cobwebs, not as many. One in the back. Just one? We have three. So of the three of you, who has had the most recent loss? And loss can be um, whatever you want to be. I have had lots of different kinds of losses in my life. So maybe this past six months, you've had a significant enough things that it's, it's really been on your heart. Oh, I had lost in the last six months. Yeah, these are the ones who played in a high school band. Yep. How about the past year? Or maybe have you had have you um won anything this week? Because this is that series. A few years ago, in through the whole fall, our pastors uh, did a sermon series on suffering. And I have listened to a few of these more than once, and even given them as gifts. So, Carol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have. Okay. Enjoy. Thank you. Uh, you didn't even have me say what my losses were, but that's good. Thank you. <laughs> I, I just need to bookend things with prayer, so if we could start with that. Oh, Jesus. Oh, you understand loss, because you came here and walked this earth and you went to the cross, and yet you rose again. Thank you for this day, the gift of this day, in Jesus' name, amen. So there was a January in my life that dawned um, gray and icy. And because of that, school was canceled. And school being canceled meant that the two children that we have got to all go back to bed, they were very happy for that. And my husband, he was an assistant principal in elementary school at the time, so he also got to stay home with me, which worked out pretty well because I had an MRI appointment. You know what MRIs are? They shove you in a tube and you hear lots of beeping sounds and they take pictures of whatever part of your body. And so to kind of back up in previous months, I had a sound in my ears that sounded like a snow shovel on a sidewalk, kind of a and it would last 15, 30 seconds. And it was going on, I don't know, a few times a week, but it, it began to come more often, um, several times throughout the day. So I, I took myself to the doctor. Uh, she kind of profiled who I was, stay-at-home mom, um, suggested that um, maybe I should get out more, as did a, a family member also suggested perhaps I needed to just get out of the house more, because she couldn't hear, see or diagnosed that didn't have hearing problems. So when I went back to her with my migraines, not from migraines that were new, she said, well, I don't know that you need to go to a neurologist. They'll just all tell you something different. Well, I decided to take myself to a neurologist. And he listened to me, and he, he did all my vitals and hearing and couldn't find a thing. But he looked at me and he said, I believe you. I believe you. So he scheduled the MRI. And that's when I saw the first outline of God's hand. Um, I went to the appointment desk. They scheduled the MRI for weeks out. And then before she got off the phone, the lady making the appointment, they interrupted her and said, oh, no, we've had a cancellation. Can she come tomorrow? Sure. And tomorrow was that gray, icy day when schools were canceled. I was going to go alone, but um, my husband got to go with me. 
and the children were sent up the street to grandma and granddaddy's. And how that happened is a whole other God story that I don't have time to share. So they were um, age two and nine and 12 at the time. So we went to my MRI appointment, and when I was all done, I you know, just came out in the waiting room, and the technician said, just wait here, and somebody will be out to see you. And we thought, oh, how nice. We didn't know, we thought that was procedure. Well, it wasn't procedure. There was no one else in the waiting room when a neurosurgeon who was on call came to talk to us. And in a few short words, he shared with us that I had a brain tumor the size of my hand and that we needed to take care of that. So we became that family down the street. That man whose wife, those children whose mom, and that woman who has, we became that. So Romans 5 verse 3 says in the very first section of it, so not only this, but we need to exalt in our tribulations. Excuse me? <laughs> we need to exalt in our tribulations. Romans 5, verse 3. So let's back it up a little. So verse 1 starts out with, therefore. Now, have you ever heard any speaker say, well, if you see therefore, then you should check and ask, well, what is it there for? So if you go back through the chapters that precede Romans 4, uh, Romans 1 through 4, you'll find that in summation, uh, Romans chapter 2, 28 and 29, I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but basically it says, oh, you can look like a Jew on the outside. You can do all the things that a Jew is supposed to do, but that's not what God's interested in. He wants you to be a Jew on the inside. See, it's about who you are on the inside. So therefore, back to verse 1 in chapter 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we exalt in our tribulations. So what is this idea of justification. I just want to touch on that for just a moment. See, that's what our whole foundation and premise is this morning, actually all of our life, is about our justification of the peace that's been made between me and God, you and God, if you know Him in that way. Because we are all sinners. We all choose to make wrong choices, and we deserve God's judgment. We deserve being in His courtroom and Him saying guilty. And as charged guilty, then that means that my penalty is death and separation from God. But Jesus Christ, because as a little girl, I believe this. He's standing right beside me. He says, oh no, she's mine. See, I already paid her penalty. And when I believe that, then I know that because he died for me, paying for my penalty, that he rose again three days later in victory over that penalty and that death. And now I have eternal life. And that is the foundation of what dealing with loss, actually dealing with filling the blank for everything in life. So if I go back to the fact that now I've been justified in Romans 3, 5, verse 3, to exalt in my tribulations because I've been justified and have now a relationship with God, I can also put a contrast exalted my tribulations. So what is 
accumulation mean? When you look at the Greek word, it actually means it's a, a pressing or a pressure in your life. It's uh, sufferings that could be due to the pressure of circumstances or people. Does somebody come to mind immediately? God has given me someone in our extended family, and she is a gift to me because she has been teaching me over the years in a particular area that God wanted to correct and continues to correct in my life. It can be anything that burdens your spirit. And I'm too exalted in that. Hmm. Well, so as we go on, you'll see on your outline the, the term responder. Responder, I find that uh, in broad brush strokes, people generally fall into one of these categories and how they deal with loss. And I would say, fill in the blank there again, but we're going to just talk about loss today. And... I love how God gives us stories. I shared and started today with a story, didn't I? So let's look first at who responded in anarchy or rebellion to this idea of loss, and it's Joseph's brothers. God takes up a lot of chapters and verses talking in Genesis 37 and then 42 through 50 about this whole story of Joseph and his brothers. So let's consider what was it that they lost. Genesis 37 in particular gives us a really great insight. So the love of their father was what they lost. Uh, they felt rejection because obviously dad preferred Joseph. He even gave him that special coat with all the pretty colors on it. But then Reuben, the firstborn, he also lost uh, several things. In that culture in that day and time, if you were the primogenitor, the firstborn, you received a double portion of the inheritance and the special affection for the firstborn. Did Reuben have that? Mm. You were, in essence, kind of the head of the whole family, and you fulfilled the role of the priesthood family, which was a privileged role. And then you even had a similar authority over your younger brothers and sisters, just as your father would have authority. And then you were also responsible for providing food or clothing or needs for your mother and even your sisters until death or your sisters married. Uh, they later made a law so that you couldn't just choose one of your sons, uh, that it had to be your firstborn. But Reuben had lost that. Well, what, what, was, what fueled this anarchy? What was the fuel in their tank of their anger and rebellion? And Genesis 37 tells us that it was hate. They hated Joseph because of his preferred position. And they were jealous. They were so jealous, which often are cousins, aren't they? Hate and jealousy. They often are in arms together. And the ways that it manifested itself, they couldn't talk friendly to him at all, it tells us. Again, in Genesis 37, and they derided him. Okay, what does that word mean? So they made fun of him. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. You know, he shared that he had dreams that God had given him, and it just made them all the more hate him. So what were the results of their anarchy? Well, they well, they wanted to kill him. As we continue reading, they plotted and they schemed. They had gone off to take care of some of the um, the herd, and their dad sent them, uh, sent Joseph off to find them. And as he was approaching, maybe in scheming and plotting, they wanted to get rid of him, even if it meant killing him. Oh, but wait, 
they had a better idea. Why not benefit ourselves? And they sold him into slavery. So they were cruel. They threw him down in that pit. They didn't feed him. Uh, they were very vengeful. And then that also caused grieving for their father, did it not? They had to lie to cover up what they had done. They had to be um, deceiving. There was guilt that is talked about as you continue reading. They were fearful. There was tension. They were terrified. And then even later, after they meet with Joseph, fear returns when their father dies. So what would that look like today? Could it be that that would be an example of rejection by anybody? A parent, maybe. Or an employer. How about your husband? Or your children? Well, I know that one. <laughs> your children. How about your, your friend? Maybe your friend rejects you. Have you ever been made fun of? Made you feel this high? Well, let's consider apathy. So Esau came to mind for me, also in Genesis 25, and then later on in 32, we learned a little more. So what was his loss? Well, he kind of gave away what he already had. His birthright. And it's the same things that Reuben, as primogenitor, that would have been Esau, the firstborn as well, would have had those things. And he sold it for bread and soup. He must have really wanted that bread and soup. But how sad. And it was fueled by... I don't care. I don't really care about my spiritual heritage or my faith. And how did it manifest itself? Do you recall that he married two Hittite women? They would have been women from pagan nations that were around them. And he just assumed he would still get that blessing. You know, come on now. I'm the firstborn. Even though. And that resulted in Isaac and Rebecca, his mom and dad, they were so grieved by his marriage to those two pagan women. There was bitterness on his part when he discovered that Joseph now had the blessing. Joseph, Jacob, I need to recheck my J's, don't I? <laughs> um, they, he plotted to murder Jacob. I know, I feel like I'm going in and out. Batteries. Oh, it's my batteries. I'm always running low on batteries, <laughs> literally and figuratively. I'm a wired battery girl, but I still use this thing. <laughs> um, the family is divided. There I am. Because Jacob had to go away. There was just a lot of fury and anger. So what would that look like today? Well, have you ever been in a place of loss where it was just so profound and you just walked away or worked? inclined to want to walk away from your faith and the life. You had a, I don't even have it in me to care less anymore. How about atrophy? This is, atrophy, if you think of an athlete, it's like when they don't use their muscles and, and they seize up on it because they're not used anymore. And so atrophy is the prodigal son. I know these are very familiar stories, but there's so many others. Right out of Luke chapter 15. So he had it. Think about his dad and his estate and all that was on there. So he had it to lose, and it was his inheritance. He asked for it. And in ancient times, actually, to ask your dad for your inheritance early was like almost a death wish for your dad. She didn't normally get that until your dad died. 
Also, the fact that his dad gave that to him was scandalous in the community. I mean, his dad would have been looked down upon and talked about because he had given his son what he asked for to land inheritance. And so what was it ruled by? Parte, parte. I want to live a good life. I want to pursue what I think is the best. So what, how did it manifest itself? Well, he was impatient. And he just had this driving desire. I just want to get out there and have fun. So rather than exercising self-control, hmm, that's a fruit of the spirit. He put more importance on temporary things, regardless of relationship and the blessings he already had. So what did it result in? It says in Luke 15, 13, he went on a journey. So in a sense, he left all that he had learned, all he had been taught. He left his family, he left his home, and he went on a joyride of loose living, which, as you read more about that, it was shameless, and it was immoral, it was reckless, and it was very extravagant. As we know, he ran out of, he lost what he had been given, and he found himself, it manifested itself eventually in need. He was so destitute. Physically, he was hungry. And so he lowered his standards just to get the basics. So have you ever pursued what you thought was the best thing or known someone who's pursued that? It might be the next job promotion, which sounds really very um, admirable. And it's not bad to want to pursue that next job promotion. How about the next Jesus thing? I've been there. I pursued the Jesus thing so much so, never mind my family that was left in the dust. How about that latest and greatest? Fill it in. Are you into cars? How about the house, girls? I shouldn't say that. as guys like house, too. How about your health? These are good things. But if they're pursued in such a way that you lose sight of what's most important, it comes at a great cost. And sometimes it can even cost us our marriages or our relationships with children or friends or others. Then we get to a word that I made up to make it fit with anarchy, uh, apathy, atrophy, and elipathy. So elipathy is Daniel. I mean, just read the book of Daniel. And I'm only going to brush into the first few chapters of Daniel. There's just so much material there. But right before we even get into the first seven verses, we learn right away he lost his home. This is beyond his control. Well, let's just pause there a minute. How many losses in your life have been beyond your control? Or someone's life that you love? He lost his homeland. I don't see, I mean, is anybody in here, did you, were you born in a different country or even a different state? I know my son went to Mississippi, so if you were born in a different state, Mississippi, Arizona. And it's like different parts of our country. Weren't you born? Where were you born? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So when our son went down to Mississippi, he said, Mom, this is not Virginia. <laughs> he had an interesting time down there. It's like a whole different country down there. And maybe Arizona, too. I have a friend from Arizona. So he lost his homeland. You long for, like in Arizona, they make tortillas there way different from in Virginia. It's not even a tortilla. I mean, we call it a tortilla. 
He lost his freedom. He even lost his name. There's no name to him anymore. He lost his name. But you know how he responded? How did he stay alive be? In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Daniel made up his mind. Made up his mind. I don't know how Daniel was feeling about his losses, but he made up his mind. He chose in his mind. And that was manifested as trust in God. Now, do you remember those Sunday school stories? Um, I know, I'm still going in that. Oh, you just want to replace my batteries. I don't have time for that, Paul. No, I mean, it's free. Do you want to do Let's that? Let's go with it. Okay. Until it goes red. Okay. Um, so let's think of Daniel. Well, we've got, from the very get-go, they wanted to feed all these special uh, people that they had gotten from their country this, this full diet of meats and whatevers. And, and Daniel made up his mind that he wasn't going to eat that way. And he asked the guy who was over them, hey, I don't want to eat that way. And he said, okay, I'll let you try it. Guess what? Uh, well, we'll get to that in a minute, the results of that. <laughs> um, didn't he trust God as well when it was declared that everybody was going to bow down to that huge statue, and if not, they would be burned in the fiery furnace? Well, we know what Daniel did. He chose not to bow down, and he was put in that fiery furnace. They came out not even a hair, not even an eyebrow hair singed. Daniel on the lion's den. They were told to pray only to the king. And Daniel chose to pray to his God in full view. And not a hair on him. Not even a scratch from a lion's tooth. He trusted his God. And so what were the results of him doing that? Of staying, making up his mind, trusting in God. He had favor and compassion from that commander in Daniel 1. When he chose to eat just fruits and vegetables. He, uh, God honored Daniel's commitment to him. He gave him knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. They were way smarter than his wise men of that particular country. Daniel and his companions were ten times better than all magicians and astrologers. Daniel was blessed and praised and gave God the glory when he revealed the meaning of a dream. And he gave God the glory when he talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is only through Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. I haven't even gotten into chapter 3 yet. Did you notice how specific God spoke to the losses and met his needs? God is so specific in meeting us right or meeting someone you know right where you are. Today, maybe like Daniel, you have made up your mind to trust God. You are no stranger now to the fiery ordeal that surrounds us, the second Peter talks about, first Peter. Um, you know that grip of fear that wants to overcome you, or you know someone who might be struggling with that. You might even know or be familiar with the idea of just the anxiety that comes with loss. But you've made up your mind to trust God. Well, let's not forget, Daniel had associates. Some of you might call them peeps. They were from the hood, and they were his friends. And they were with him. He had a posse with him in each of those situations except for the, the Daniel of the lion's den. But some of them that I mentioned to you. 
and and how we respond to our losses directly relates to our three R's. And this is a lot of what our week has been about. These are familiar things, but just to put them in the context of loss, our first R are our roots. So when I was going through, when I shared with you earlier that story, I was um, 33, I get to be 54 now. I get, I celebrate that I get to be 54. And um, my roots, as I was telling Jim earlier, I discovered that when you are in a difficult position or around someone in that difficult place, you either run towards God or you run away from God. And I just buried myself in God. So yes, this yellow piece of paper is 21 years old. And I just at times needed to, I needed to write it down. Didn't matter where I was, and it must have been what I had on hand at the time. If there's a like a phrase course thing on the inside of it, but um, you know, all these. There was a time when I was concerned for the children, and God gave me uh, Psalm 36. Let's just turn that real quick. I was concerned that you know, are they going to have a mama? And and I don't know why God gave me the gift of being able to raise my children. But as some of you heard me share, I, I prayed that, and then I began realizing that every morning was a guess. I've had over six thousand guesses. So he gave me one time, and I was concerned about the children. He says, so the children of men can take refuge in the shadow of my wings. They can drink their fill of the abundance of the house that you will get, I will give them to drink of the river of my delights. For with me is the fountain of life. I personalized some of those these thighs and vows because it was for my children. Um, when I, I needed to make decisions that had to do with my health and how we were gonna what we were gonna do about this, you know, hand-sized brain tumor, um, he gave me. It says in Psalm 32, 8 and 25:12, if you can give me a counsel. It's right there on my yellow paper. Also, because I wanted to have quick reference, I just needed it sometimes. The verses that encouraged me go right here in the back of my Bible. I just started writing them down. And um, I have this one. For thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness. There, there were days when I couldn't feel God there. But I had made up my mind, and I chose to believe He was there. Because remember, He told me, in Hebrews, that he would never leave me or forsake me. Um, but my heart, my heart, yes. You're, you're just like my mom. She, um, I have um, five people pass away in my life recently. And two of them were relatives. And five of them were single. would be for you that I was just getting ready to read Julie. And that, and my husband gave this to me just a few months into our discovery of my brain tumor. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It is my rock. 
These are my verses. So where are your roots? Are they in God's word? Do you have a yellow piece of paper? Figuratively speaking, that is. Um, I gave you some examples of verses, some suggestions, especially for to share with someone else or for yourself. Read through Psalms. I've underlined in Psalms um, some of those lamenting Psalms. Yeah, that's what I feel. I, you know, my my couch, it, it, it's just, I'm drowning. Um, my couch with my tears at night. But then in Psalm 91, I can find my refuge up under the wings of the Most High. You know, those just get woven into your heart and your thinking when you're in a place of just real vulnerability and tenderness. I was asked to give an idea of um, just a, a few resources to share with you. And my immediate thought was this. Really, if you have nothing else, this is what I would highly recommend. There are a few others that are in your thing. Um, that CD set of suffering was one of them. This. Um, Dig into it. If you don't know how, find somebody who knows how to come alongside you. The Book of Job is another one. I have underlined in the Book of Job ways that I felt that Job was feeling in his losses, and that I could identify with, and I could see God answering him. So your second R are relationships. So who are your peeps? I find this a little more difficult for men, and maybe this is my narrow perspective. I think women tend to be more naturally um, relational, although not all women are. But you know, some guys, you know. Scott's going to come over here to Jim and say, hey, let's go have tea and talk about how I feel right now. <laughs> um, maybe it's coffee. But whatever works for you guys, if it's a basketball, you know, the golf course, I don't know what guys do. But whatever it is, do you tend to isolate yourself when loss comes into your life? Do you know others who isolate themselves? Uh, loss is very isolating, just in and of itself. So we have to often make an effort, or we need to say, I'm not talking a crowd. You don't have to put it on a billboard, but someone or two that knows what you're going through and is walking with you or that you're going to get to walk with, even though maybe your loss is different from their loss, there's a common denominator in how you would be responding. You know, maybe you haven't had broken relationships with your children. I have. But I've seen God um, restore those relationships almost away with one or two of them. But God's not done with us yet, is he? So you can share that with other people as well. Wherever you have been in whatever loss, it may not be identical in specifics, but in the landscape and the brush strokes, it's similar. I want to read just Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This just underlines what I just shared about relationships. Again, another verse. So what profit? No, that's chapter 3. You don't want to go there. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him 
a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. When others isolate themselves, or when I even have isolated myself, I am so much more vulnerable to discouragement, to depression, to, um, it's like it wraps around itself and it grows almost, not wanting to be around others. Now I do need time alone to breathe when I've been through loss, but not to the exclusion of there not being other relationships in my life. So Julie already mentioned this, um, this past February 1st was the one year anniversary of my mom going home to heaven. And I had the privilege of two years being able to help care for her. And I had two friends, Lou and Cindy, and we met for breakfast once a week during those two years. I don't know how we did it, with except maybe a few exceptions. And sometimes they were just, they were listening to me. I you get weary sometimes as a caretaker, even though you want to be there. Sometimes we were laughing about something. I get to see pictures of Lou's little granddaughter. Uh, just life. But it was a lifeline to me. They knew when I was really struggling. And it cared for me. And I needed that relationship. And it it doesn't work out anymore for us to have breakfast as frequently. We still do. But those two years, they were there. And I so needed them. My husband was there too, just so you know. So righteousness is our third R. So what does that mean? I need others in my life. We need others in our life reminding us of who we are, who we really are, if Jesus is our Savior. So did you remember this morning when you got up that you were the apple of your father's eye? And because of that, your heavenly Father, he, he, he looks for you. He seeks you out, especially when you're in those places like a desert land. And when he's there, I, would, I just loved reading this verse again. He's going to find you. He's going to encircle you. He's going to care for you and me. And he's going to guard me. Guard me. Guard me from the things that want to just help me. Or you. Or someone you know who's lost someone. Uh, I didn't give you a reference for that, did I? You know what? It's in the back of my purple Bible. If you want to come up later, I'll give it to you. <laughs> uh, he's the lifter of our head. I sure do. I've already shared that he's a lamp in the darkness. You are his child. Now here's a concept hard for, um, I've had a few men, women tell me, they just don't get this. He is the lover of your soul. That's right, that song of Solomon. He called me. He wanted to be spend time with me. He is the lover of my soul. You see, he can touch me in the deep where not even my husband of 35 years can. He knows me as the lover of my soul. And um, just out of Isaiah 53, we know that he chose to be a man of sorrows, that he bore our griefs. He was smitten and pierced and crushed, scourged, oppressed. He was rejected. Ultimately, he was crucified. And there's a phrase in there that has meant so much to me in this past year of missing my mom. And that was, he carried my sorrows. That's a past tense. 
on the cross. He already carried my sorrows that I was moving through and missing my mom. I miss her hug. miss my mom's hugs. So what is the greatest loss of all? I'll read to you from my journal. When I die and go to heaven, if you read this, you'll know how God's been growing me. But my, in my after my children read it, I've already told them that. So, this was the day before that one-year anniversary of February 1st, just a few weeks ago. Um, this verse, Know ye not that ye are not your own. Must be a King James Version. Thank you. That in my quiet time. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. So the day before the one-year mark of mom leaving for heaven, this verse was in my devotions. This is an Oswald Chambers, my utmost for size. Why shouldn't we go through heartbreaks? Through those doorways, God is opening up ways of fellowship with his son. And I just talked about how he suffered. He knows. If through a broken heart, God can bring his purposes to pass in the world, then thank him for breaking your heart. The day before the anniversary of my mom leaving, thank him for breaking my heart. After a moment of considering, could I thank him for breaking my heart? I chose, I chose, I made my mind to do so. As the day wore on, into the next day, I just had a growing sense that a hindrance or a barrier, something indefinable had missed away. And such a sweet and greater awareness of being in him was palpable. I let go of, it's okay, Lord, that you broke my heart, because I accepted that. Just open a whole new door to his marriage. I can feel it. It will be the same for you, and it, it comes with choosing. And choosing, often, I have found for me, is in spite of what I'm feeling. So, the greatest loss, it would be missing out on becoming familiar with those shadows of refuge and the safety under the covering of his wings. That comes out of my thinking of Psalm 91, given to me by my dad just a few days before my brain surgery. Experiencing life, you're missing out the greatest loss. Experiencing life, even in the midst of what seems like death, I remember. About a year and a half ago or so, all my children live far away. So within a week's time, for different reasons, there was something that broke in my relationship with all three. And I can remember being on my knees on my face before God, and I was just, I was just hurting so much. And then to my surprise, I realized where that death had come, that there was more room. Jesus. There was life where there was death in relationship with my three children. Wow. Now I want you to know I love my children. They love me. And we have worked through a lot of things together and continue. But that particular time, um, there were just circumstances and conversations and things that broke those relationships. And there's life and death. Wasn't there on the cross? Life three years later. So you're missing out if you don't choose to make up your mind 
Discovering the love of your father like you have never known before. Every once in a while, I can get the distractions in my head to go away for just a brief second, and I get a thumbnail of a sense of the love of God. I cannot even put that in words. I want that for others, for you, for those you care about. Maybe even somebody you don't even know, and you just happen to be in that place at that time, and you bump them, as I say, and what's hurting spills out. The greatest loss is missing out on breathing the presence of Jesus in this room. So our hope. What penetrates the anguish that I feel sometimes? It's Jesus. See, my hope isn't just in Jesus. My hope is Jesus. So I didn't finish quoting Romans 5, chapter 3, where it says, Lord, and not only this, but exalt in our tribulations. Knowing that, it brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Hope. And hope does not disappoint because it is the love of God poured out. Don't you love that word? His love just isn't a trickle or maybe a, a Dixie cup. He pours out His love within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. So this idea of hope in the Greek, it is describing a happy anticipation for good. Anticipation means it hasn't come yet. It's coming. It's grounded upon the hope Christ. Remember I said in the very beginning, the foundation is our hope in Christ. Um, it's all about the object of what our hope is fixed upon. It can be, it is an anchor in our soul. Hope. And I have been through passages of time, one in particular, where I just lost sight of hope. It was there all the time. I was just blinded to it by my loss. But it never went away. So, though you might have anger, um, these, and don't don't hear me um, wrongly, yes, with grief comes oftentimes anger or, or that, I just don't have the emotional energy to even care about you today, God. Um, there can be that atrophy where you just want to walk away. But did you catch the hope? So, in that first story, later on, after they had confessed, his brothers, they, their relationship was reconciled, and they were restored in relationship. And even with the prodigal son, when he returned home, what did he find? His father's love had never diminished for him. In fact, his father welcomed him and it was just headlong I love that. Aren't these pictures of our relationship with God? You know, aren't we restored and reconciled to him at times when a few months ago I realized I was sulking in the house or <laughs> And uh, I needed to recognize that and ask God to forgive me. Um, yeah, there's hope there. But then let's consider Esau. So I found this interesting. I just heard this a few weeks ago. 
Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, Esau found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Hmm. We know that he reconciled with Jacob a little bit later on when Jacob came back, but they never had relationship. He, he, he went off and, and lived in far land, and as far as we know, by the historical record of scripture and otherwise, um, he was with his pagan wives and doing whatever he do with the pagan wives and the idols, and uh, they became a cost of relationship. We have a choice. Others around us have a choice, and don't be impatient with them. You know how hard it is when you have loss in your life. Don't be impatient even maybe with yourself. Just keep coming back to Jesus and looking for the fact that there's hope that even if you can't feel him there, even in the midst of struggling, through um, the kinds of things like Daniel, we can make up our minds. We can learn how to have hope and be in Jesus even while our hearts are aching. And our roots God's word, our relationships, who's in the hood with you or them? Are you the one in the hood with them? Um, our righteousness of who we are in Christ. There's an encouragement there, there's a support, there's a strength, there's a comfort. So I want you to know I didn't even share all the losses in my life. Um, I carry an ache in my heart every day. Sometimes it surfaces more than others through circumstances or conversation with that individual. But I have traveled a path now. It's gotten kind of well-worn, so it's easier for me to find. And it's always back to Jesus. And because though I grieve, though we grieve, and no others can grieve, it is not without hope. So, thanks for listening.